Hello, my friends. My name is Lisa, and welcome to Creative in Process, a podcast where I talk with everyday humans on what it means to be creative in the 21st century. I'm a creative who's worked in journalism and marketing. I love to speak, songwrite, dance, vlog. I love creativity because it fuels connection. So I've been excited to create this space where we get to explore together how being creative makes us more human. Last month, we kicked off our season premiere of this podcast, and I relished every moment. In today's episode, we're at it again with a precious and energetic new guest. Her name is Lily Lee. Lily is a digital marketing project manager at a bank, and she loves creating content. It brings her joy to capture life's special moments and create memories that can be savored through art forms like videos, photography, blog posts, and social media. Expressing herself creatively and connecting authentically with others gives her meaning, purpose, and joy in life. Lily is an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs Personality Assessment and an Enneagram Type 4. Lily and I hit it off right away in this conversation. You'll be able to tell how excited I am to chat with a fellow Asian American gal with whom I share some really fun overlaps, including a passion for self-discovery and healing, YouTube, a love for our grandfathers, and faith. Lily and I talk about how to take our personality types in the context of other life variables, how to lead effectively as an ENFP, how to balance extroversion with a desire for deeper connection, and what we can do to engage our authentic selves and live our dreams when we've been raised to play it safe. I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's dive right in. You and I both know, Lily, that you're the only other Asian American female ENFP I've ever met. For people who aren't familiar, this is a personality type on Myers-Briggs and it's an assessment called the MBTI. ENFPs are free spirits filled with zest and endless passion for life. And we're also five to 7% of the population on average, which means we're just self-absorbed enough to think that we're really extra special. We're also creatives. We do best in situations that we get to innovate and do new things. And I would love to hear about the wild and wonderful life of being an ENFP, especially what it's like for you as a creative person. First off, I want to say that you're probably the only Asian American ENFP that I know, Lisa. For me yeah. as an ENFP, it's been kind of strange even because a lot of people don't even see me as an extrovert. I am an ENFP type four. When I checked up this type online, I noticed that people will say that this type often mistypes as an INFP. I am indeed an ENFP, but it has more to do with the way that I function. For example, mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll jump into a situation and then I'll reflect later and I'll be like, ooh, maybe that wasn't the best decision. Whereas an INFP tends to reflect first and then they dive in. And it doesn't have to actually do with how you come off as. Over time, I realized that it's such a broad category and there's more to it. There's the Enneagram types, there's the background, how you grew up, your culture, your upbringings. And for me personally, as a creative, what's most important to me is finding authentic connections with people. It brings so much joy. I think during the pandemic, I was just being very self-isolating and reading fantasy books, creating like art projects, which now I look back on more as like kind of escapism for me. 
And Mm. what brought me out of that was just realizing that I was really lonely during that time. I think I was craving external connections with other people. Somehow I ended up on like this Facebook group. It's called Lavender Lifestyle. Eileen Shu is the owner of it. I joined that and got to join the community years ago. And I saw like a posting from a friend now, um, a stranger at the time. And she posted her YouTube community. I became a part of that community and I started to feel like connected again with the world. So That's part of the wild journey, which is self-discovery and moments of isolation and wanting to be surrounded by people, wanting that extroversion, but wanting the genuine connections rather than something a little more superficial. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned your type on the Enneagram because I'm a type three wing too, and I'm self-diagnosed. So I didn't take the (laughs) really, really official assessment. It paints such a diverse and beautiful portrait of all the different things that comprise who we are and just how it's important to explore the nuances of what that looks like for you and what's meaningful. I think for me, the E means it's very hard for me to get anywhere without the presence of another human being close to me. And I do find on average that people who fall under this general categorization We tend to find so much meaning in relationships. Everything in some ways can be dictated through how much we feel connected with the world around us. I'm so glad that you found your community on Facebook. It's such a connective tissue if you let it be, because there are definitely different dark sides to social media too. But that sounds really life-giving. You mentioned the YouTube signups. I know that you are also on YouTube. How's that been like for you? Is there anything there that you want to kind of expound on? Yeah, sure. So the YouTube thing, it kind of changed over time as the founder interviewed the people in the community and saw what we wanted from the community. Initially, we were a group of content creators. So I kind of felt like the pressure was on to create YouTube videos. And ironically, that made me not create anything. (laughs) (laughs) And the founder, who is a really good friend of mine now, her name is Sophia. Her YouTube community is called Uncomfortably Comfortable. And she kind of just like opened it up to all creators of all kinds. So people who make art also, and people who like to make movies. It's a bunch of different creatives. She started to notice different needs within the community. And I was saying that I was kind of there for the community and that I didn't really have content to create at the moment. That was December last year. And since then, all of a sudden, I just felt like a creative burst come out of me again. What helped me open up is Sophia would like asked me for like one-on-ones to have like Zoom calls. And in the beginning, I was just like, whoa, a Zoom call? (laughs) But Mm. that really helped open me up. Then seeing like more and more faces for her monthly calls, that kind of human interaction really helped and being in a safe space. And I was creating a lot of TikToks at the time and mostly posting on Instagram, just like posts about life. But I think now I've really realized that I like to create a bunch of things and I've been creating videos again, vlogs on YouTube, bringing that extroversion in, which I remember you mentioned that was one of the reasons you liked YouTube also. Mm-hmm. And I think Zoom calls, they're almost like podcasts too, more intimate and talking about the deeper things. But I really enjoy also the extroverted side where we bring our like, personalities and bubbliness. So I think that's why I love YouTube. Mm. And I like watching people live their lives, the friendship and the connection that people have. 
I love that you mentioned the community aspect. I've been listening to podcasts. Well, I think it was my pandemic escapism at first too, <laughs> but there had to be an outlet when I was like listening to human beings interact and didn't have pressure to interact with them. Yeah. Um, those are sort of very conveniently podcasts and he's a writer. He wrote The Fault in Our Stars. John um, Green or something yes, like that. John Green. It's precisely John Green. <laughs> so terrible his names. He said that unfinished books, he would read aloud with his students. And the purpose of that community was that feedback and input. As creatives, I think it's also very important to put your stuff in front of other people before you're satisfied with it. My first episode guy, Joseph, was talking about that too. Every piece of content he creates, he has like closely knit accountability buddies that he shoots it off to. I think that involves a lot of courage. Often, like you were mentioning, it has to come to you from the outside, whether it's us messing things up or whether it's an outreach from someone else coming into your life. I think it's really great that Sophia, she reached out directly to you and how consistency was part of it too. I know for me, that is such a security, especially when I know that I'm not going to be 100% in it, which is also why structure has been helpful for me investing in. I love the humility of naming that she reached out to you first. That for me is refreshing. I think I look for people like that, but I don't often have people like that in my life. And I feel like I have to fill that role. I love the energy of networking and bringing people together, but I don't love the energy of making it happen and organizing and logistical wizardry and and the magic that people have when they're super good at administration. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this recently too, because that's kind of like my dream, but it's just a dream because I don't see myself enjoying actually being a community manager. I think it's because we don't have the J function or we do, but our P is so strong. We love when we meet people who can get the execution part down. And when we're doing like the ideating and the other parts, now I really appreciate people who are planners. It's like a yin and yang kind of relationship and both sides find something that they really like about the other. And it creates a really nice balance. Whereas if there's like two people of the same type, there seems to be clashes. So it's a very harmonious relationship to find that kind of friend. Yeah, I was very happy that she reached out to me. In the beginning, of course, I felt kind of closed off. She also had like a hard time finding close friends too. So I think that was just a very serendipitous moment. A lot of things I also attribute to faith and prayer. Mm. I think it's something that I prayed about for a long time. Friends who really want the same kind of relationship as well. I thank God for a lot of the people that I meet and including you too, Lisa. I feel like this is a very special relationship and I'm happy to have met you. I feel the same way. Well, obviously I latched onto your ENFP. I latched onto it because I had a scarcity of ENFPs in my life, but by no means does that mean that's the only touch point. I think there's a lot here that I've really connected with. Not everyone wants that kind of relationship I found. And that's been freeing for me because sometimes we tend to project in our need like, oh, everyone must be looking for this because I'm feeling these things so strongly. But some people are very content. They're able to live and flourish by themselves, get a lot of processing done, get a lot of reflection done on their own. But I don't think we're that breed. It's really really good to find (laughs) others who, like you said, bring that execution. You and I, when we first chatted, you mentioned there's an ENFP soul bootcamp, and this is led by Heidi Prebe. 
I feel like she's just like a personality psychology boss. And so you attended her bootcamp and I would just love to hear from you. What are some takeaways from this experience for you? And what is it about our personality type that makes it so rewarding, but challenging to find a really satisfying career? Yeah. So joining the ENFP bootcamp, that was also during the pandemic for like the first time in a long time, I felt really happy to just like be surrounded by not another ENFP, but like a whole Zoom call full of them. And it was just very bubbly, as you can imagine. ENFPs just like bouncing off of each other and a lot of like goofiness, but also deeper talks. What I took away from the boot camp is it's very important for ENFPs to lead from their intuition and lead from their feelings and to execute from that rather than the other way around. And the reason is the other way around, we're not living to what's authentic and true within ourselves. And I feel like that all sounds so be true to who you are. It's such a cliche. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we function from just carrying out tasks that others give us, it leads to burnout. I think this is when we really need to dive into what we want out of life and what it is that our dreams are and really put work into dreaming big. I think that would lead to like life satisfaction. During that time, I was just at a burnout phase. I think a lot of times I am burnout, to be honest, but Mm. at that time I wasn't pursuing like any of my passions. I just had like very vague ideas. This was maybe the beginning of 2020 after just like working from home for a while. So I was just really craving connection and happy to have found this group. What I really liked about Heidi's lessons were her boldness in pursuing after our dreams. At the time, I was kind of against some of the things just because I wanted to play things very safe for most of my life. So it was just hard for me to accept that we could live our dreams if we wanted to. It wasn't even enough proof for me to see her living it out and the people in the group. I was just there because I wanted to be in the presence of other ENFPs, but I still wanted to hold back. And I met a really good friend through it who is also an ENFP type four wing three. She helped me type me for Enneagram after the bootcamp was over and she sent me like a bunch of resources. I was very touched before this whole experience. It was hard to feel like, I could completely like relate to people, just being unconventional in a lot of ways in thought. So I think my favorite part was meeting that friend. The side of you that you're speaking to about being more closed off and holding back. I think for me, that was very much my nurture. Like I grew up in an environment where being safe and being out of everyone else's way was the only way to be successful. We can bring in a lot of that immigrant psychology of being a second generation Asian American. There's some level we're holding back is the key to moving forward or that sense of owing debt to your parents or to your family. I love the authenticity. It sounds so generic, but authenticity has come up over the years so much. Like Lisa, it seems like it's really important for you to just be authentic. Everybody wants to be who they are, but like it's extra, extra important for you. I hear from you in that boot camp where you were there just to be around other people because it was liberating, but you are still in that space, not wanting to believe the dream. I relate to some of those feelings as well. 
there's this tightrope block where if you believe in it all the way, then you have to live it because you're earning enough fee. But if you don't fully believe it and you're holding back, then there's a space for you to process and be reflective, but not necessarily facing your authentic self and wondering like, why haven't I spoken to you for a while? Or why is it that I keep neglecting your needs? I felt like I've been in that tension that the pandemic posed for a lot of people for a long time, being remote from a lot of my close family loved ones, but also craving community where a lot of people around me seemed like they were content with more artificial relationships, (laughs) but with the help of counseling and mentorship to like actually type my most authentic self as a little girl. And I've been journaling every once in a while these days, this little girl inside of me and asking her, what do you want to do today? Is there a space that I can save for you and and really carve out? That was my way of accessing the rich internal reality that lived inside of me. So I think it's really cool that so much of this community and that relationship that came out of it for you sparked some of that authentic engagement. I love that you did journaling to the little girl inside of you. Did you find like any answers from it or any solutions or was it just very healing just to write things out? Yeah, thanks for interviewing me. I've been on a longer process and pursuing a vocational listening relationship with a couple. They've been listening to my life story. The goal of this is to look back in order to look forward sit down with people who are going to help you come apart and unfold a lot of the stories of your life that you may have forgotten or don't have permission to breathe into. I think I've learned a lot about trusting myself. I don't think that self-compassion and that self-trust was there in a lot of areas of my life. And now I'm really looking at that. Part of the fruit of that has helped me to really look at little Lisa When I was two years old, I knew I was dancing. I knew I was really effervescent and engaged with life. But for the period between three years old and maybe into my teenage years, 13, 14, there is a period of deadness. I have very scattered memories because I kind of lost a lot of that joy. It's because I associated with a lot of stuff that was happening at home, things that were traumatic that had happened in my life. And going back with these folks and living through those years again, I realized actually I can trust myself for being a lot more authentic to who I was, even despite and through all the adversity and really turbulent stuff that was going on at school, at home. I remembered these memories that I hadn't been able to recall before, where I was recreating a lot of that authentic expression and like stealing pipettes and syringes from my dad's chemistry lab and giving myself and everybody else around me these really methodical, cute shots, making everyone read me a story with a very specific way of showing the pictures and um, (laughs) talking very loudly to my made up friend who I called Big Pig Watermelon on a pink phone that, you know, (laughs) that came to show me that I could trust that I was being that relentless little girl, but it was in pockets and spaces I had to create for myself when I speak to her, I always imagine the two-year-old who's dancing and she does very specific wrist motion, twirl the wrist because I have home videos. She's (laughs) like that essential authentic self who has been taking a back seat in a lot of my life because of the responsibility of needing to be a certain way for other people for what they're missing. And I have to fill that need and it's not out of my authentic passion or who I am. And so that's definitely a long answer to your question. 
Oh, I love the whole thing. And I feel like I related to a lot of it from flipping a book a certain way and making people read to you. I think I did the same exact thing. Yeah. And a lot of just like make believe and just making imaginary friends. I feel like I just like learned so much from what you just shared because I don't really know too much about the inner child. It was a very nice visual what you just painted out. That's so great. I'm glad that it helped you to see that for yourself. I love that you did the picture book thing. Somebody else I met the other day did the syringe thing and you do the picture book thing. And I'm like, who else did this other thing that I did? So yeah, that's great. So Lily, you built a website um, and I love your website. The website is also linked in the notes. You started a 2020 and 2021 story series. I would love to hear, can you tell us a little bit about that and how it came to fruition for you? So the 2020 stories was originally a project that came about during a time of grief for me, right after my grandpa had passed away. And I just couldn't believe the reality at the time. It was just very hard because he seemed so lively like a week right before it that I thought he was getting better. And little did I know that it was actually just like a burst of energy before he passed away, which is actually common in the elderly. Hmm. So he was just a very special man, very lively. And he would sing like Russian songs and it was just very unique. A lot of my mom and I, we resemble parts of my grandpa. So it was so sad for me to see him go. Mm. And after that, everything was just like so depressing to me, like funerals and planning speeches. I just had like an idea to write about him and share my story, but I wanted to have something beyond that and have a way to connect other people. I brought up like the idea to my mom, like what if I shared a project with other people where they could share how their years went since 2020 was really rough for a lot of people. And my mom told me to jump with that idea and that I should definitely make it happen. I think without her support, I definitely wouldn't have created the 2020 stories. It was through her encouragement and her pushing me to tell me you have to make this happen. So Mm. I started to just like reach out to random people who I was friends with or who I have lost touch with and share that I was creating 2020 stories, which was almost like a yearbook of events that happened and for people to reflect on what happened and any highlights to process everything. A lot of people actually participated. They loved reading each other's stories as well. So I decided to create like 2021 stories and keep that going since then. And it's just been the pandemic stories and ongoing. Yeah. Just to echo what you mentioned, I also love my grandfather and he passed away. And that moment was very pivotal for me to commemorate and grieve because I wasn't able to make his funeral. He was, he fed me beer foam when I was a kid. He loved me extravagant, (laughs) really difficult to understand ways by the world, but he was a total golden retriever personality just in terms of character and faithfulness and human dignity. He gave everybody he loved that. And he was one of the closest extended relatives. So my heart went out to you when you described losing your grandfather, because not everyone has a really close relationship with their grandparents, but when you do, it's really precious. Are you still creating and working on those stories these days? 
Yeah. So for this year, I am going to create another one and it will be the 2022 stories. And I would love to have friends contribute again and share how their years went and how they've grown. In the future, I would love to host events for the stories so that people who wrote can also connect with each other. So I'm learning from my friends who have their own communities. I would love to make that happen one day too. I love that you draw inspiration from these communities that have been created, that you've been invited to. It makes me think of that post-pandemic slump of re-entering into the world, discovering how you're an extrovert again, because I think I forgot (laughs) how to stand socially with more than like two people. I kept shifting my feet. It was the worst experience because all of us are used to sitting in Zoom chairs and, you know, talking that way. It's not necessarily a bumbling, awkward transition all the time, but I suddenly realized that I haven't been in community with a lot of people that are strangers or just that I didn't know before because work was remote. A lot of things were remote. My family was remote because my parents live in Missouri. It's a different dynamic with my church being only source of consistent weekly community. So it was refreshing because I had a friend come moving out of town. And this was the slew of events where I was connected to you, Lily. And then that sparked a bunch of other gatherings where I met these people who did these things and just built community with strangers. And I was like, wow, there are people who believe in this is amazing. (laughs) Like like, I suddenly just meet all these people who are so down to talk to strangers and just go get coffee with new strangers and let's make a new group. And it was just this incredible slew of roller coaster events where suddenly I'm in community with a lot more people in Boston. I could have built that energy. I could have pulled myself out of bed and like made that happen. But I was in a period of my life where I was grieving a lot of things and I still am in a lot of ways. So it's so refreshing. Like you mentioned to have people outside of yourself who are freed up by their lives to be able to do that extra boost and injection of energy that you need to be able to do that for other people. And so I love that you're inspired from these communities to then bring your 2020 story and 2021 story contributors together in a new community. It feels like an alum network. So that's awesome. Thanks, Lisa. And thank you for sharing all that. I had no idea. I'm glad to hear that you had like a slew of events, just like one thing after another that has brought you connected to more of the communities in Boston. And also that realization that you could have done it yourself too, but just to have that push and inspiration from seeing it happen when other people are taking you along, that really helps us and motivates us and brings us energy, especially when we're feeling low. And I think what's beautiful is also just that we could come as we are in life, even while we're grieving something that when other people are in the picture, it's amazing where they could take us and how quickly we can even heal just from being taken along in that surprise. That's a great language for that. That's exactly what it is. Healing and so much more from being able to be taken along by other people, especially as creatives, that inspires us. That inspired me to continue and do these conversations as well. It's a direct cause and effect. I'm looking forward to the way that that fuels your creative energy as well in the coming year. One of the first questions you asked me when I first met you was, Lisa, what makes you come alive? And I would love to know, Lily, 
what makes you come alive? That's such a great question. Honestly, I feel like that is a question that I have been trying to explore for a really long time because I didn't know what made me come alive. That was the question that Eileen Shu from the Lavender community asked. I feel like the more that I journaled about it, the less that I really knew. But at the same time, reading through previous journal entries from many years back, I would write the same things like singing, connecting, just like all these things that kind of are like a little theatrical and artsy. So I would say a mix of that. This summer, I finally just decided I'm going to take singing lessons because I like to sing. So I took like around seven lessons and I really loved it through the singing lessons. Yet again, what I learned wasn't that similar to joining a content creator community. I wasn't there for the singing. I was there for the something else. And I think that something else is just this exploration of discovering what I want to do and just like the theatrical side. I think ENFPs just love to try new things. I just wanted to overcome fears and a bunch of what ifs and go out and do those things. What makes me come alive is trying out all the things that I had reasons to stop myself from doing and just going for it. Another example, I guess, would be just like going out and meeting people. That can be kind of scary. And also even just like going to a different church. So after coming back from Greece, I just decided I've been watching church from online for too long and it's time to go out and maybe go to a different church. So that's what I did this past weekend. I think what also helps that I like that you talked about earlier was having structure in life some kind of routine where I'm making sure that I'm exercising and eating healthy, making sure that things happen at certain times. I think that helps a lot. And then adding the fun things into the routine, all that in combination makes me feel a lot more alive. And just having community and friends to talk to, to really externalize, I think that helps so much. I love that the what makes me come alive is being able to go out and just explore and do the things that I've prevented myself from doing. That's such a beautiful illustration of freedom. And in a way that probably sets other people free to think about that for themselves. And maybe they don't need to go take theater classes, but maybe people are default stuck in a hamster wheel of routine. And this is the job I've been having or this is the breakfast I've been eating or whatever else it is that everyone could benefit breaking free from. That's beautiful. The theater is really fun because I rebelliously declared a theater major without telling my parents in college. <laughs> um, but they, they would never let me stay there. I ended up as a journalism major, surprise. But I had a side of me, the little girl, like I loved performance. I didn't like competition. I was in a competition mode for most of my upbringing. I did the arts, but I did them competitively. Piano is a prime instrument that I played and that became so competitive. It became local and then state and then like, can you go national too? And it was just like, no, I just wanted to play for a lease. <laughs> performance was not performance for performance sake. It was for competition. So the word performance became very tainted for me, but the essence of performance is beautiful to me because there's that relationship there. The stage experience for me, it feels like a drug in like the best way because it's, there's just this synergy and this feeling of presence that I have having that dynamic where you're building off the energy of the audience. You're trying to communicate a message and sharing an experience with an audience. 
and they're giving to you in ways that aren't verbal often, but are bodily and emotive. That energy is just unparalleled. That in-person presence makes me come alive. And so I love how you said, I went there not for the theater. I went there for the something else. And the something else for me is connection with other people. Oh, I love that. And I love that you pursued what you knew you wanted to do anyway, which was theater back then. And I love that you also relate to just wanting that something else and that you learned that you came alive on a stage where people responded back to you. Are there ways that you would seek more of that kind of feeling in the future or have you reflected on that? I've been finding pockets. I have this holistic desire to like bring every piece of my life together. Not only all of my friend groups from, you know, California and the East Coast, the Midwest, which is unrealistic, but all the spaces in my life together as well, wanting everything to be in this one job or in this one relationship. I'm going to get all these things that I'm longing for holistically. That's been unrealistic over the years in a way that was disillusioning and really unromantic, but then now has become sobering and a challenging way. It was like, I have this idea of this ideal friend, but these are the real friends that I have right now. And how can I just ask them how we can build the relationship and move it forward? You know, I can find this with this person, but maybe I find this with this person. And these are both things that I appreciate and want at the same time, but I don't have to be finding them in the same place. Maybe there's a beauty in that where I need multiple places and I need multiple people and sources of energy in life, not just the one thing that's this all-encompassing, thou shalt be all of these things for me. I'm learning to find these pockets of performance in like the redemptive usage of the word. One of those places developed during COVID, I had been guest preaching at my church, but got really into it during COVID. There was a lot more freedom to experiment because nobody knew what the heck was happening during COVID. So our church was really reinventing itself. All of us got to rotate preach a lot more often. And so we had a lot more practice before the little camera eye of death that was so small. Look into someone's iPhone and record a whole sermon to a faceless audience. That was a really pure pocket for me for performance, because even though it's not the same energy during COVID, I was so inspired by how much people needed some sanity, like a message that was actually challenging in a life-giving and encouraging way, like a I'm with you and I'm one of you kind of way. And I try to use my own life and furl it for people in a very relatable, authentic way out of a deep knowledge and confidence in the people that they are, how beautiful and, and unique each person behind the camera lens is using my own journey and my storytelling to really push people forward. That's been a really good pocket for me because I mean, I grew up in a space where I was the only quote unquote Christian in my family for so many years. And people would always tell me like, oh, that's a divine calling that you're the only Christian in your family. Like you must have a special path. And I was like, that's great, but it really sucks too. Um, (laughs) So I was really, really pressured to do school, to do everything else except church. Church was this additional pocket instead of life itself. These days, being able to really approach church life, see it as not just a four walls thing, see it as a lifestyle and an identity that is intensely communal and see me being authentically myself in speaking truth, being a part of service to other people is beautiful. So it's been a really redemptive space where I know that I'm giving and I'm receiving and I'm also being myself. 
Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I could see you being a really good pastor. Like (laughs) I can imagine it. My previous young adult pastor, she was also our personality type. And I think she had the same Enneagram as you too. And she just like really spoke to me because I think she also resembled a lot of what you shared about how Mm. like breathing life into the audience through just like challenging questions, but in a very inviting kind of way that really helped me connect back to my faith again. It was amazing. So I feel like God really does bring our unique personalities. So I love that you shared that it made you come alive because it's definitely a gift. When you mentioned that God really works with our personalities because he created them. Um, <laughs> there's a long, hard lesson for me where suddenly one day I realized that the biggest blessing that I can be to other people is when I'm operating out of precisely who God has made me to be. And that does not involve hiding in expressing that raw, authentic self. For us, there's so much at stake with being able to fully be out there as who we are, because it's so rewarding, but also countercultural to be everything all at once. There are different pieces that are always negotiating within us. But when we are able to be that way, that full-fledged, fearless self, it's usually very beautiful and sometimes intimidating for other people but always very rewarding and is a greater service to other people than the you that you feel like is more appropriate or acceptable. I definitely resonate with that. I love that. Yeah. And I love that you also mentioned we can't be everything all at once. That made me think about boundaries and just knowing how to set them for ourselves. I think that could be like a tough step sometimes for Asian American females because of the culture that we were used to operating in. So it does take a lot of reflection and counseling or journaling to realize what we need to step back on and how to step more into the parts that make us who we really are. And I also couldn't help but think of the movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. (laughs) That phrase has been circulating in my friend groups. I'm sure that has everything to do with what I just said. I would love to hear a little bit more about your mother as an ENFP because I hear from you that she challenged you to make it happen with your 2020 stories and your 2021 stories. And that's amazing and really inspiring. At the same time, I wonder if there has been tension with her in terms of that play it safe mentality. What does that look like navigating that tension, especially in your career, since we haven't talked as much about that? Yeah. So having an ENFP mom, it would come with assumption that she would also just like pursue free spiritedness, but that's not really the case at all. I didn't know that she was an ENFP and I couldn't believe it when she tested the same as me. I was kind of like, ew, no, we're not the same type. Like take (laughs) it again. And so she took it again and she would get the same result. So I was like, okay, but like, why do you seem like a censor? (laughs) Over time, I realized that it's the playing it safe mentality and maybe having a dad and a brother who are also censors and just realists. So the tension comes when dreams and having a realistic outlook of life come into play with each other. Also just being an ENFP who was a dreamer for most of life and not really knowing how to take actions. I think that they just assumed that I wouldn't be able to take off with any dreams or just like have Mm. that kind of mentality. 
also just like traditional values because my mom has always supported our family in a very traditional way. My dad has supported our family in very traditional ways. And I can just play these narratives where my mom and I will share different dreams that we have that don't go the traditional way. And my dad just saying, oh, dreams will just be dreams. He's just like the very traditional ISTJ father who supports the family in that way. And over time, my parents have definitely gotten a lot more flexible, especially in the past pandemic years, and especially hearing the same narratives coming out of me. I think they've just become a lot more open to whenever makes me happy, but they will still raise their voice and share their concerns about being stable, finding security. My mom, not as much anymore, but what I've gathered from what they've shared is to pursue what I love to do on the side of a job. But I think they're being more open to other options as well. My mom will say that that will come to me later in life. She's always encouraged me to have like an entrepreneurial spirit, but she says to just think about it, not like too intensely. It's kind of like chasing passions. A lot of passions, they happen over time. You don't think yourself into a passion. So she's just been at supporting me to let it come naturally to me. And then when it does come to be full on with it, rather than just letting go of everything and then saying, I'm going to just start completely from scratch. I think it makes sense to me too, because I haven't put enough thought into other career paths at the very moment. I do have things that I love to do on the side, like photography. I'm very interested in things such as coaching. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing a few consultations with coaches to see what it's like to become one and to see if that's something that I could do on the side. I know in the future, I also kind of want to do things related to lifestyle and relationships, couples, anniversaries, and things with babies. So Mm. that's just a broad idea. I could definitely see things going in that direction when it comes to entrepreneurial endeavors. (laughs) Yeah. Your mom sounds well-lived. It's really incredible how the immigrant mentality, the me moving my whole life to a different country, starting from scratch mentality, the survival mentality of, we just have to get through this. We just have to make a life here. And that I think interacts a lot with the types. I've only recently started to wonder if my mom is an N instead of an S, because I can see that she can be quite introspective and insightful when it comes to herself, but that just simply hasn't been afforded her because she needed to go out and hustle and make our whole family stable. And so I think it's really fascinating that these things are so fluid and learning these things about our parents, especially in their journey, giving dignity and honor to that is so important. And your mom having this encouragement for you to pursue that more entrepreneurial identity and that time-sensitive consideration is so wise. I do think we as ENFPs can have this desire to suddenly sell everything and just go live somewhere else or just do something really intense and extreme because this is me, (laughs) whatever. There's wisdom in taking that time. And like you said, going out and discovering and engaging with the process. This podcast I started as a way to creatively process a topic that I want to engage guests like you on, which is quality of being. And this is what some may contrast with quality of living, but I think they go hand in hand. 
the being piece can be a little bit more neglected because it's such a non-measurable thing. But the purpose is to explore this integrated understanding of what it means to become better in our humanity, but also to seek progress as we have been in our culture and our society and as a whole. The goal would be to invite different guests from all sorts of different places to speak on what quality of being in that internal life looks like for them. And I would love to hear from you what your thoughts are on this topic. Oh, I love this question. I love the topic of quality of being. I think it's something that we don't think or talk about enough these days. Just being a human being and just taking the time to allow ourselves to be humans, I think is so important so that life doesn't just grab hold of us, but that we are enjoying our lives and living out who we're meant to be. When I think of quality of being, I also think about self-healing, just learning the parts that we need to unlearn about our lives what we should stop doing and setting boundaries and then inviting in what brings us life, which can be so hard to do because of just the culture that we live in, the narrative that we're used to living and breaking free from that. An example I have is this past year, I've been learning to say no a lot more because I just felt like so much stress in my body. I've been going to the doctor more, just like complaining about gut issues And I think that could be just a result of letting stress build up in my life, in my body, always trying to please those around me. And it just reflected into my body. I do remember in college watching TED Talks. This TED Talk speaker said the person who kept going to the doctor wasn't really living out the life that they were meant to be. Even though I internalized that TED Talk, I didn't really truly live up to it. Here I was like in my mid or later 20s thinking I'm still young, but feeling like a little bit of damage in my body and going to doctors, coming back like healthy too, and just not feeling well. I ended up realizing these gut issues also had to do with that I wasn't listening to my gut, that I was doing what I thought I should instead of what I wanted to. To stop being so quote unquote good has helped me heal. It's been a lot of learning how to take like deep breaths, just connecting with my body, discovering what it is that I want to do day by day. Doing journaling walks has been really helpful. We know a lot about what we really want deep inside, but I think we just don't take the time to do it. Just setting that time and being intentional with myself has helped me realize the quality of being and heal so much. I keep journals recording everything from just like body symptoms. And I notice a lot of relief in my body just from being intentional and taking time to take walks, to think true thoughts, to also reflect before I do things or to do the things that I want to do and reflect on them later. Mostly just to be open to life, to be less open to things that are not life talking to friends, talking to others can help us get that out. So I definitely also encourage having people who we trust to have that safe space to talk to and let that out with. When we have a quality life for ourselves, we're better able to serve those around us. And I definitely think one should come before the other and that we should self-regulate and self-heal before we're ready to fully give At the same time, I also do think both could happen at the same time while we are discovering it's important to have conversations with others. 
see it as a period of growth to not be hard on ourselves because really we're all just learning all the time. That's really well put. Self-compassion. That's one of my soapboxes that I could spend another hour talking about where (laughs) even though we are the one we have to live with and we are the one whose bodies we're in, I don't think we've mastered that just as a whole culturally yet. So much of our society and culture is built externally and there's so much more gratification and reward by focusing externally. The fact that you use quality living as one of the key phrases is so key to understanding that this being piece is part of living and the more essential part of life in understanding our bodies. You nailed it on the head. It reminds me of this book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, I think. It's about trauma. So there's a spectrum, right? But in terms of just stress and the impact that it has, that it's very embodied and physical. Our bodies do keep the score with the ways that we treat our bodies and live our lives. Whether or not we attend to it or not, those things will keep collecting. It's so great. You're aware of that physical need to slow down and be present to yourself. It's a great space for all of us to lean into more. Thank you so much, Lily. I really enjoyed this conversation and it was such a joy to speak to you today. Uh, Likewise, Lisa, it was such a joy to speak to you. And I feel like we could definitely have another conversation for like hours branching off of different topics that we've touched upon today. The hilarious plague of being a good question asker is that you never prepare answers to your own questions. Today, I didn't expect Lily to be so good at interviewing me. And I didn't expect to show up with the answers that I did but I thank her for this gift of learning and growing together. I love what Lily said. What makes her come alive is exploring the very things she's prevented herself from doing. And I love her challenge for us. Often, we know what we want deep down. We just don't take the time to do it. Maybe coming alive today means living into the truths that we already know about ourselves. So I encourage us to try something different this week do one extra thing that brings us authentic life and joy. You can check out Lily's work on her website, lilyleedreamery.com. You can also find her on YouTube with hashtag lilyleedreamery. Again, this is Lisa, and thanks for joining me for the second conversation of Creative in Process. I'll have new episodes up every month, so be sure to follow and stay tuned. Talk to you really soon. I don't know why I just Siri always thinks I'm talking to her throughout this whole call (laughs) yeah the AI that is in my apartment has become really rebellious and Alexa's been more mischievous she'll talk to me like when I don't even put her name out I'll just be talking and she'll be like oh here's the band named rebellious fires and she'll start playing the song by them who are these people like I didn't even say that She just suddenly decides, like, I don't have a conscience, but I feel like I'm bored. I just need to play this song that you didn't ask me for. She does that a lot. (laughs) Who knows how that works? Sometimes that happens to us too. And then my mom and I will just be like, we're being listened to. (laughs) We're like, how do we turn this thing off? (laughs) 